Welcome to the preaching podcast of Life Point Church. We're so glad you've joined us here. If you're ever in the Baton Rouge area, please stop by. We'd love to meet you. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, please visit our website at golifepoint.com. We are in Revelation Revealed, part 11. This is chapter 6, part 1. I want to say a prayer, and then we're going to jump right into it. Father, thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness. Oh, Lord, when we fall, you stand. When, when we stand, you stand, but when we fall, you still stand. You are so faithful, and you're compassionate, and we are grateful for that. Help us, Lord, to see the truth tucked away in the book of Revelation as we look at it tonight. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. So we're Revelation Revealed. We're in Revelation Revealed, part 11, chapter 6, part 1. Here's a little review and introduction. Remember the outline for the entire book is found in chapter 1, verse 19. Jesus told John, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. Metatauta, after this in the Greek. Now, the things which John had seen were the things he had just seen in his vision of Jesus in verses 12 through 18 of chapter 1. And the things which are were the things he wrote about in chapters 2 and 3 concerning the seven churches of Asia Minor. Remember, there was an immediate local application. Obviously, what he wrote pertained to those actual specific churches in Asia Minor in 96 AD, then and there. But there was also a far-reaching application that we've looked at, each church representing an era of church History, 2,000 years of church history encapsulated in the seven churches of Asia Minor. But there's an overarching application as well. All of the churches together as a whole represent the church age, what Jesus called in Luke 21, 24, the times of the Gentiles. So the things which John had seen are in chapters 1, or in chapter 1, 12 through 19, the things which are, are chapters 2 and 3, and the things which will take place after this are the things starting in Revelation chapter 4. Jesus said to John, write down the things which will take place after this, meditata. So after what is the question we asked. A little review here. After the church age, the, the times of the Gentiles, when the church age is complete, when Jesus is finished speaking to the church. And so when is that? It's at the rapture, when Jesus catches his church away, his bride. He catches his bride away. So let me remind you that the word rapture is not found in your Bible. And skeptics, critics are quick to point that out. But the Greek word harpazo is in your Bible, and it means to snatch or to catch away. And it is the same idea. The Latin for harpazo is rapio or rapiamor, which is where we get the English word rapture. So technically, the word is in your Bible. In chapters 4 and 5, John is seeing into the future things to come. After this, it says, after this. So the rapture would have already occurred after this. John's in heaven, and he sees the throne and the Lamb of God. He sees the 24 
elders representing the believers from the Old and the New Testaments, from every tribe, kindred, nation, and tongue. He sees the cherubim creatures with the four faces. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Similar to the ones that Isaiah and Ezekiel also saw. The one who sits on the throne holds in his hand, his right hand, a document. It has writing on the inside and the outside. Like the one described in Jeremiah 32. It's a legal document. They only wrote on the inside of these scrolls. But on the outside of a legal document, there was writing as well. So here we have a legal document. And I believe that document is the official lease that God had granted to Adam for 6,000 years. We talked about that. You remember that, right? The 6,000-year lease. Adam essentially signed it over to Satan at the fall. And Satan has been the God of this world ever since. That's what he's known by officially in Scripture, even in the New Testament. And nobody in the vision, what John is seeing in the future, nobody was worthy to take that lease, to take back what the devil had obtained from Adam. And you remember, we talked about the temptation where Jesus was tempted of the devil, and the devil said, I'll give you all of this, the kingdoms of this world... I'll give all of this to you because it was given to me and to whomever I give it to. And so that was at the fall of man. And and no one was worthy to take back that lease because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we looked at how John convulsed. He wept uncontrollably. But one of the elders reminded him, the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. He, he the, the Lamb of God, the seed of the woman, the last Adam, Jesus Christ. Galatians 4, 4, I love it. It says, in the fullness of time, God sent His Son, born of a woman, made under the law. So, the Christ, Jesus Christ prevailed to take that lease back. So, are you ready for this? All right, here we go. Let's dive in. That scroll had seven seals, sealing it up. They had to be opened first before the scroll itself could be opened. You could say that each seal served a a purpose because each seal would bring with it, once it was opened, a horrific amount of pain and destruction upon the inhabitants of the earth. Upon mankind at that time. This is after the rapture. You could say that each of these seals were a necessary evil for the ultimate unfolding of the scroll. Each of these seals was a necessary component for the fulfillment of the scroll, for for the transference of authority back to God. For this transaction of remanding the power back to God. Each seal had a role to play in the ultimate vanquishing of the enemies of God. And the reclaiming of the earth for our God and His Christ. Are you with me? And so the first four seals that we're going to look at. And these are seals as in. 
this was sealed with these things. Not seals as in our ark, right? You know what I mean? So these are not these are not seals as in the animal. These are seals that sealed up the scroll. Just look some of you are looking at me funny. I thought I better clarify this quickly. Let's pull those lights up just a little bit. So, man, what if I run into another conundrum like that and I don't see your face? So I want to make sure we get that right. The first four seals are linked to the literally the four horsemen of the apocalypse that we see first in, in Zechariah 1 and then in Zechariah 6 in his first and eighth vision, uh, the prophet Zechariah. Now let me give you a little disclaimer here. Throughout history, beginning with Irenaeus, there have been those who have tried to link these four horsemen with events that have already transpired, like the Roman Empire, things like that. But John is 2,000 years in this vision. He's 2,000 years removed from Patmos. He's in the future. And in the vision... The rapture of the church, the catching away of the saints, has already taken place. And he's looking on things that were about to unfold at that time. In other words, at that time they had not unfolded yet. So he's looking at things that are still future to us now. And so we may get a chance to look at this as we go through the book of Revelation but, but really, this is the beginning of, of what is known in Daniel 9 as Daniel's 70th week. And if you've spent any time in prophecy, you know that Daniel's 70th week from Daniel 9 is very significant. This is also the beginning of what is known as the Great Tribulation, where Jesus spent a lot of time talking about this great tribulation such as none that anybody has ever known that will come on the earth. Jesus spoke about it in the Olivet Discourse in Luke 21 and Matthew 24. This is the beginning of all of that. The rapture has occurred, and now the first seal is loosed, is taken off, is open. So look with me to verses 1 and 2 of Revelation chapter 6. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals... And I heard one of the four living creatures say with a loud voice like thunder, Come and see! And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he went out conquering and to conquer. Now Irenaeus saw this as Jesus Christ. Because in Revelation 19, we see where Jesus comes riding on a white horse. But even on a cursory level study, I believe it becomes quite obvious that this rider on this horse in Revelation 6 is not Jesus Christ. This is an imposter because on his heels comes war and famine and death. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He's the God who has provided for needs, provided food for the hungry, and He raises the dead. But on the heels of this horse and rider comes war, famine, and death. This is not Jesus Christ. This is 
the Antichrist. And we're going to take just a few minutes tonight to take a look at the Antichrist. And some of you, you don't want to express it, but you're like, yay, we're going to look at the Antichrist. <laughs> but let's do look at this. It's very interesting. And here's the deal. As I've told you before, you got to go where the text takes you. When I do these verse by verses, there are some verses I want to skip and pretend like it's not there. Because either I don't know what to do with it or it challenges a presumption I had, a preconceived idea that I had. You've got to go where the text takes you. And so that's what we're doing. We're processing it as best we can. And so let's talk a little bit about the Antichrist. The same writer, John, wrote in 1 John 2.18, Little children, it is the last hour. We've talked about the last days before. Here's the last hour of the last days. And as you have heard that the Antichrist, definite article in front of Antichrist, the Antichrist is coming, even now, many antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. Notice he says, the antichrist is coming, but he has not come, at least at the time of this writing. Right? You see that? Then 1 John 4, 1 through 3. Beloved. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. The spirit, the Antichrist movement, the spirit of Antichrist that was at work 2,000 years ago, as a matter of fact, the spirit of Christ that was at work in the fall is what we're talking about here. Remember when, when the Lord told the devil through that serpent situation there, he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. That idea of this warfare. In my Bible study chart, it says spiritual warfare right there. There was warfare going on from the time of the fall until Jesus Christ was born, and we see it progressing on into the church age, the time of the Gentiles, and beyond. This idea of the enemy, Satan, working against the seed of the woman. Remember how Cain killed Abel? We've talked about this. And then Jesus, in John chapter 8, again, John the writer, Jesus told the religious Jews, you're of your father the devil. The devil was a murderer from the beginning. And his will, you will accomplish. The devil inspired Cain to kill Abel. 
But it wasn't that he cared about Cain or Abel. He was after the seed of the woman. All he knew was there is a son that will be born that will be worthy to take the lease back. The one that will undo all that I have done. And so the devil inspired the first murderer. And it was all to stop the seed of the woman. And he's still trying to thwart the plans of God. He's tried and he will continue to try. There is enmity between the Christ and the Antichrist. That spirit's already at work. But it will come down to a showdown. Man to man. Mano a mano. God's magnum opus versus the devil's magnum opus. The real Christ versus the Antichrist. Are you with me? It's going to come down to that. But you have to remember the first seal was not opened until the rapture had occurred. Which means, if you're following me, the Antichrist would not be revealed and the great tribulation would not begin until the church has been taken away. Think about that for a minute. The church is a force that is holding back, holding at bay. Don't ever let the devil tempt you into believing that you as a believer connected with a community of faith, that you are weak, vulnerable, that he is stronger than you and that us, stronger than us. Because I'm telling you, my Bible says, your Bible says it, he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. The believer is anointed with the same spirit that was on the Christ. Now, he had the spirit without measure. Together, we bind together, and, and our measures of the spirit are, are strengthened in numbers as we stand in. But one believer can look at somebody filled with demons and say in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you devil, come out of him in Jesus' name, and the devil has to flee. As a matter of fact, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit yourself unto God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So when the devil tries to tell us and convince us that we're just nobody's going nowhere, and all this doesn't matter, a hill of beans, and when you're facing the real, when you're facing those hard times, when the devil's whispering in your ear defeat and discouragement, you need to stand up in faith and say, it doesn't matter how I feel, it matters what I know. And I know that if God is for me, who can be against me? And you're a liar, and I'm standing in the righteousness of God, and I rebuke you in Jesus' name. It just makes me mad the way we live a lot of our lives so beat down by this world, by the God of this world. Folks, we're not of this world. We're just passing through. We're citizens of another world. We are occupying forces right here, and the devil has to bow the knee in Jesus' name. 
I believe it. Sickness has to bow the knee in Jesus' name. Sin has to bow the knee in Jesus' name. We walk in the love of the Almighty. We walk in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We're filled with the Holy Spirit that that made everything come to pass that is in existence today. We speak the Word of God. We're sons and daughters of the Most High God. We have royal blood flowing through our veins. We bow the knee before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and the devil has to bow the knee. That's why the Bible says that he is the head, we are the body, and the enemy is under our feet. If we walk in fellowship with the head, then the devil is under our feet. You sometimes used to need to say that, you know. Devil, get under my feet in Jesus' name. We used to stomp. Kirk Franklin wrote the song, Stomp, for crying out loud, right? And then Bunch and Breeze made it stomp on the devil, right? You stomp. Sometimes you just need to, maybe you just need to walk around your house when your kids are giving you fits and the devil's messing with your brain and just say, in the name of Jesus, I take authority over this room and over this room and over this room in Jesus. Get out of my house. This is the house of the living God. He belongs in here. That kind of stuff, man, that's powerful. This this is not playing games, y'all. This is not religious games. This is not putting on airs, you know what I'm saying? Getting all spiffy, putting on airs, praise the Lord, brother. No, this is putting your mud boots on, rolling your sleeves up, and saying, I know in whom I have trusted. I know in whom I believed, and I'm fighting for everything the devil's stolen from me. In the end, he's going to lose. He might as well start losing now under my watch. Hallelujah. Man, and you can just feel that when somebody rises in faith, it's inspirational. It speaks to the anointing that's on the inside of you. We have an anointing against the end. You know why the Antichrist hasn't manifested? Because the church is still here. We are a force to be reckoned with. Oh, we just... Going, no, we're not playing games. We're not just going to church. We're not just doing this building, this, two nor- this new normal two services thing, just robots marching along. We are an organic uh, uh, body of Christ, the, the church of the living God. Upon this rock, Jesus said, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. That doesn't mean we, we hold back. We're like, oh, devil's not going to get me. He sees the te-. It's like the church is marching forward, and is the church triumphant, just trumping down everything. The devil puts it in the way of the church. The gates of hell can't stop a church that rises in faith. In Jesus' name. Devil messes with your money. Messes with your health, messes with your mind. I'm off my notes, y'all, just for a minute here. But he messes with your money, messes with your health, messes with your mind, messes with your family, messes with your thinking. And we just cowered down. We cowered down. And I'm all for you calling a preacher, and I'll counsel with you. I'll talk to you. But sometimes you just need to get on your knees and say, Lord God, now I'm trying to believe this word here, and I'm struggling with my faith. But I, you, you, you said... 
You said it. You said, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I'm going to put this mouth and this heart in agreement with what you have said. And no matter how I feel, I'm just going to say it. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. This outside force is trying to mess with me. But greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I'm going to praise you just on that little word. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Thank you, Jesus. Greater is he that is in me. I'm wall-to-wall Holy Ghost on the inside, Lord Jesus. You fill me with your presence. And then I'll talk in tongues a little bit. And you just kind of let that flow, that river go. The devil runs in fear, cannot stand that. And then you get up. Nothing may have looked like it changed. But it has. You bow your shoulders back, man, and you walk like a boss and own the day in Jesus' name. Well, it went most of my time. Second Thessalonians 2 says what I just said. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and our gathering together to Him, rapture. Everybody say rapture. We ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us. Apparently there was some kind of forger out there messing with their minds. As though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come Unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or what is worship, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now I'm going to pull this apart here in just a moment. This is so pregnant with end time significance. So there's this forged letter going around, this bunch of rumors flying. The church at Thessalonica was worried that they had missed the day of Christ, the gathering together, the rapture. Paul reminded them there must first come this great falling away. It's it's got the definitive article in front of it. The great falling away, a time of apostasy. The word is, in the Greek, it's, it's for apostasy, this rebellion. And then the Antichrist will be revealed. Uh, and, and there's so much significance there. There is, I believe, I believe in end-time revival, okay, personally. And, and I don't have time to dive into that. I believe that he said in the last days, says God, I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. I believe there will be the great falling away, an apostasy. I mean, we, I could look around and say we see that already. All, all kind of, everybody and his brother's a Christian. Nobody seems to be living for God. You know what I mean? Like, you see that all around. And, and so th- this great falling away but the scripture said prophetically at the evening time there would be light. All right, so I believe you can have a great falling away, the great falling away, and the Holy Spirit being poured out on all flesh at the same time. Okay? And at the time of this writing to the letter of the church at Thessalonica, there was still a temple. When we went through our expedition early church and went through all those epistles, we early on were in the church of Thessalonica. There was still a temple in Jerusalem when that letter was written. In other words, this son of perdition, this man of sin, exalting himself, calling himself God, 
So they worship sits as God in the temple of God. There was a temple still in Jerusalem. But by the time John wrote Revelation on Patmos around 96 AD, that temple had been destroyed by Titus in 70 AD. So, and that's Titus, the Roman general, Titus. So now, in our day and time, for this man of sin, this Antichrist, this horseman from the first seal to be revealed, then there has to be a temple in Jerusalem. And at this time, there's not. Did you know that? The first temple was destroyed, Solomon's temple. The second temple, which was Zerubbabel's temple, which was remodeled and expanded and became Herod's temple, the second temple, that's the one the Roman general Titus destroyed. There is no temple in Jerusalem at this time, so there will have to be the building of a third temple in which the Antichrist can enter and make these kinds of claims for this prophecy to come true. And those plans, hear me, are already in the making. There's a man named Gershon Solomon of the Temple Mount Faithful. He's spoken and written extensively on this. He leads a procession every year to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem with a cornerstone to much fanfare and chagrin of the authorities. And you can check him out at templemountfaithful.org. And uh, he's friends with some acquaintances of mine. And... He, he leads his procession to lay the cornerstone of the third temple. The Temple Institute has already drawn the plans. I've got some pics. Let me show you these real quick. The Temple Institute has already put together plans for the third temple. Go to the next one. And they've kind of got the site. And they've got a way of, of building it in such a way. And this is just speculation, but, you know, the Temple Mount has on it the Dome of the Rock. And so if the Jews wanted to build the temple, they would, you know, you would think they would have to take down the Dome of the Rock. Well, that would be World War III, right? That would be pretty unthinkable. One of the holiest, quote-unquote, places on the face of the planet. And so that's not going to happen. But, I mean, it could. But a compromise would be if they built the temple in such a way that the Dome of Rock of the rock was situated in the court of the Gentiles where Gentiles were allowed to go into the temple. So if they put the dome of the rock in the court of the Gentiles, that could be a compromise that would bring the religions and the nations together in such a way. And if there was a man that could orchestrate that and pull that kind of stuff off, y'all, the whole world would wonder after him and say, who in the world is this man and where did he come from? We want to listen to what he's got to say. He just solved the problem of the Middle East. Because that's the root of it right there. And now go to the next one. They've already put together the instrumentation, all the furniture for a third. It's already put together, already built, already constructed, already made. Everything is in place for the building of the third temple. And the politics are, are the problem, and they're trying to get lined out. Who knows when that will be? But there's a lot of work going towards it, and there's a lot of changes. I don't think it's a coincidence that the United States moved its embassy in Israel to Jerusalem just this year. And this is the 70th year from the time that Jerusalem became a nation. This is that 70th year. The only thing holding the revealing of the Antichrist back 
like I said, is the church. He went on, Paul did, 2 Thessalonians 2. Stand with me right now. He said, do you not remember, verse 5, when I was still with you, I told you these things, and now you know what is restraining, listen, what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. All power, signs, lying, wonders, unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So let me conclude with this. Back in Revelation 6, the opening of the first seal releases the Antichrist. Remember that? No one's worthy to open the seal. Oh, but the line of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. He comes in and he opens that seal and releases the Antichrist. I saw something I love looking at this. The devil still thinks he's running the show and calling the shots sitting in the driver's seat. But the Antichrist can't even be released until the Christ opens the seal. I'm telling you, our God has everything in control. And your situation is not too big of a situation for our sovereign God. And He cares for you with an everlasting love. I mean, that's coming on a world that rejected and trod underfoot the Son of God. But we have a relationship with Him. We are accepted in the Beloved. We're on the winning side. He's got your situation totally under control. Just put your trust in Him and walk in faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you lift your hands to Him right now? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were blessed by the preaching of God's Word. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, or if you plan to attend one of our services, please visit our website at golifepoint.com.